The Burroughs of Berea is a conversational podcast. We study the Bible and we talk about it. Not all of us are of the same faith, and one of us doesn't actually have a faith. And that's wonderful. We all love one another, and we're going to continue to talk about these things. The things we believe in and the things we believe about what we read in the Bible. Not all of these are necessarily true. Some of it is opinion and speculation. Thank you for listening and speculating with us. There you go. That was good. Yes. Oops, oops, oops. <laughs> you are listening to the Burroughs of Berea. Welcome back to the Burroughs of Berea. I'm Rick Welch, and to my left is Big Daddy Carter. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so, Rita, the Edge, Edgerton. Why didn't the turkey eat dinner? I don't, I don't know. know why. Because he was already stuffed. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say because his head was cut off. But <laughs> behind the glass is Rocket Man, Andy Bishop. I am entirely a ham person. Uh, I love turkey, but over the course of my life, what I see, the odds of a human being correctly cooking a turkey are about 1 in 15. So yeah. I'm all about Every that Every year I am 24 for 24. Really? I'm I'm sort I of, pass I'm it on to my you. husband now, smoking it. I don't Smoke, really smoking them. That's cool. Yeah, smoking good. Batch cocked and smoked. Mm-hmm. I wasn't really a I, like. I'm I'm not one of those people that just eat turkey a lot, but we deep fried a turkey. Oh, was that two years ago? That's a whole nother level when you Uncle do that. AJ. It's also, for the record, terrifying. <laughs> it is incredibly terrifying. It's terrifying. Dude, <laughs> it is because if there is any. Frozen oh part inside it, it will explode. Oh my god! Do the it air. So it's actually really dangerous. I'm, I have I have an air fryer. <laughs> yeah, that does the same thing. Really, it is absolutely awesome. Really, I've never heard of that. Yes, absolutely awesome. Big Still, enough for a turkey. Yes, propane powered. Ah, go for it. Really? Yes. Well, it was the injections, you know. Absolutely, Anyways, it was good. <laughs> Straight out of Compton, Ralph Hicks represent. And for our Thanksgiving holiday edition, my wife Holly's here. Hello. Hello. I'm glad you're here, babe. I don't know why in the middle of that you said hello, and I thought you were going for ole, and I was like, that's, that's fun. <laughs> Mexican Thanksgiving. Yeah. Hey, so, <laughs> tamales for Thanksgiving. <laughs> Not really bad. I love well, tamales. Well, happy Thanksgiving, everybody. Uh, this is part two of the interview that I that uh, me and Rick and Ralph went down and met with uh, Mr. Gary DeMar. Oh, we're uh, so privileged. Yeah, and I didn't mention in the last episode, but I'll, in- I'll mention it in this one, is that uh, the reason why they were there is because we were filming. Yes. Uh, we did. Um, now, we weren't on film. I was. Yes. You yeah. Girls on film. I was on film, which I was very unhappy about, just okay. so we all understand. I do not like if, being in front if, of the if camera. If I was on camera, it'd be overexposed. Yeah. Notice that this is an audio podcast. So everything that you, <laughs> everything that happened there, you're only going to hear it here. But if you want to see Somebody asked it, me today, they were like, are you on YouTube? I'm like, oh, no. No, definitely not. And oh, then no. there's going we just to be- get, We could just get like a, a one shot of Billy. Yeah. The hottie. <laughs> yeah. The, Billy up. That's it. Yeah. Yeah. He wouldn't, you know what? He wouldn't like it either. It doesn't matter. No. <laughs> no. That's all you can get a Billy. Only if he's dressed like Macho Man Randy Savage. Or yeah. can we can we get him in a turkey costume? Yes, oh. I would love to put that picture of him as Randy Macho Man Savage on the oh website. Oh my God, yeah. That looks, was that yeah, not he perfect? Yeah, he, totally. did, he did great. Snap into a Slim Jim. <laughs> oh, yeah. He said every time somebody said, oh yeah, he gave him a Slim Jim. He carried around like 70 of them. We had Moses part our driveway. We had a kid dressed like <laughs> Moses. He parted our driveway. It was amazing. <laughs> I loved it. It was the best costume of the night. I hands down. That's hilarious. We're going to be man. talking about Moses. Yeah. Well, this is uh, part two where we are discussing the the book, A Case for America's Christian Heritage, uh, written uh, by Gary DeMar. 
And uh, so we'll just jump right into it. Hope you guys enjoy. Well, we are back here in the house that Damar built. <laughs> uh, yeah. Thank you for inviting me in your home. We actually did build this house. You did? Yeah. yeah. With your bare hands? Not with some of it. Some oh, really? Of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We bought, we bought the land. We uh, hired the contractor, did the design work, uh, did a lot of work on the house. Mm. And the, all the, what you see outside, you can't see it from, of course, your audio, uh, but all, all the stuff we did, this was just a blank slate when we when we moved in here. In yeah, the year it's beautiful. 2000. It really is nice. beautiful here. My my wife, where, where I live, is a house that her grandfather built with his own hands off of the, with the uh, lumber that came off yeah. of the land. They built their own sawmill. Yeah. They did it all. I know. That was it. They think about it, all yeah. that, too. I mean, and it goes years back without electricity, mm-hmm. sawmill. They, they had sawmills running without, without electricity. I mean, it's really amazing the skills people had back in those days. It is, and, and that, you know, which reminds me back in part one when you talked to, you said about the state of the economy and how we didn't have, you know, how people can't buy houses today. And, and and I agree. I see a lot of young people. I employ a lot of younger in their mid-20s that they can't afford to buy a home in the mountains of Western North Carolina. It's very expensive to live there, but it's still they can't, and it's unfortunate. But when you look back 100 years ago, uh, people knew how to do more than they do today. Uh, today, we turn on Netflix and we look at YouTube, you know, back then you learned a skill or a trade and you could build a home off the land and there weren't a whole lot of restrictions, you know. True. And I, I think another aspect of it all that the homes that we, when I grew up, they were small. Mm-hmm. I mean, my, I mean, we had, I think it ends up, I think about 800 square feet. My house, house is 984 square feet. Yeah. And I love Every square inch of yeah. it, and I don't want any more. And that was you know, one car garage. Mm-hmm. So now we have two cars. Yes. And 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 I when we first moved there in 1955, I was five years old. Uh, there were um, two foot square patio pavers. Mm-hmm. There, there was no yard. You had to do your own own yard work, put it in. Mm-hmm. It does gravel in the driveway. Mm-hmm. And over the years. Everybody ended up getting con- you know concrete driveways, changed the walls and so forth, mm-hmm. and widened their the place where the where the driveway was in order so you get two cars in there, and and the yard I mean the yards were, were big, but now we want you know big big homes. Here I am saying this this is a pretty big home, mm-hmm. but it took us quite a few years to get you know to this point. I remember the first house we moved you know, we moved into. Uh, so there, there's a lot going on. It's not just the fact that homes are more expensive. We want more in homes today. Sure. And there's a whole lot more in the homes that we didn't have. Mm-hmm. I mean, the dishwasher, my brother my brother and I were the dishwasher. That's right. So was I, yeah. yeah so, <laughs> you know, garbage disposal, no, we took the trash That's out. exactly I mean, right. It's just, it, so things that, there's, a lot, there's a lot more to it than just saying homes are more expensive today. We want more today. We do. And we think we deserve more today. We yep. should have all those things. We do. And young people, I think, are it's, it's going to be tough for them. Mm-hmm. So, It is. It is. Well, where we ended in our first part, I had said that I wanted to talk about, uh, of course, we're talking about your book, The Case for America's Christian Heritage. And there's a section in one of your chapters where you talk about um, the state constitutions and how they mention God in each one of them. And, uh, but there was one in particular, your home state, well, not your home state, but the state you live in now, uh, Georgia, it mentions, uh, General James Oglethorpe, uh, conceived a plan to provide a refuge for persecuted Protestants of Europe 
And on June 9th, 1732, he was granted a charter by George II to establish a new colony, and Oglethorpe named his colony Georgia. And he was motivated primarily from strong Christian principles, which are evident in his denouncement of slavery, which I thought was interesting because when I think of Georgia, I automatically think of cotton and slavery. And gone with the wind. And gone with the wind, absolutely. And so it says in London in 1734, he praised Georgia for its anti-slavery policy. And I want to remind my listeners that anti-slavery, that is a biblical principle. Man stealing was wrong. Yeah, okay. That's I think this is this is where we need to make some definitions here. Yes. Because there were people who came over who were indentured servants. Yes. They were paying off debts. You didn't, you know, for property crimes, for the most part, people didn't go to prison. Mm-hmm. Uh, they had to they worked off their debt, which is a biblical idea. And even even the in the Constitution. Uh, dealing with you know, the abolition of slavery as we know it, it did not get rid of the idea that a person paying off a debt could could be forced to do so. Mm-hmm. Uh, so indentured servitude, uh, typically you pay it off, you, you're out of it now, uh, was something that was prevalent, prevalent in the Bible and prevalent in mm-hmm. the colonial era. So when we talk about Slavery, as we use the word today, it is man stealing. And in, um, I think it's Exodus 21 or 22, I can't remember. Man stealing was a capital crime. You could be executed for, for man stealing, kidnapping. Mm-hmm. And if that law had been applied uh, in the colonies, we never, never would have had chattel slavery in, in what is today the United States. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you, you mentioned Oglethorpe, um, his the statement. Uh, slavery, the misfortune, if not the dishonor of other plantations is absolutely prohibited. Let avarice defend it as it will. There is an honest reluctance in humanity against buying and selling and regarding those of our species as our wealth and possessions. The name of slavery is here unheard and every inhabitant is free from chosen masters and oppression. Slavery is against the gospel as well as the fundamental law of England we refused as trustees to make a law permitting such a horrid crime. Mm-hmm. Can you imagine if we had followed this, if Georgia had followed this, right, and the rest of the South and the rest of, of the United States had, had followed this. This was a biblical principle. It's unfortunate that you find a lot of Christians who defended slavery in terms of the Bible, but they were even misre- misreading the Bible on all this. The, the Bible pro- prohibits man-stealing. And going over into the African um, continent and you know taking people who were, by the way, let's be honest here, Africans were being sold by Africans. Mm-hmm. We didn't have to buy them. We didn't right. have to. We didn't have to participate in all that. But unfortunately, we did, and it's we're st- we're still paying the price for this. Not only in terms of the nation itself, but from you know black families today who have have to de- have dealt with discrimination in the, in the United States for some time and even, you know, much even today. So Oglethorpe's statement here, I think, is uh, something that's just too bad that it was soon forgotten. Yeah, and I like, I like what you said right after that. Uh, you say, quote, Oglethorpe's words were not heeded. The horrid crime of slavery was soon introduced to Georgia. In 1750, the law prohibiting slavery was repealed and Georgia became a slave-worked plantation colony like its neighbor, South Carolina. And if the Bible had been followed on the prohibition of man stealing, America never would have been cursed with the sin and crime of chattel slavery. Yeah. Yeah. End quote. 
Yeah, and I like I said, we've 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 talked a lot on our show about slavery and its effect. Um, and you know, uh, my uncle is African American, and we talk at length. He works with me at my shop, and we, we talk at length about the effect that slavery had. This generational curse that affected them to where they they couldn't be educated like the rest, and then they were looked down upon because they couldn't be educated. Know. You know, all of it, it was just this steamroll effect. And it's an awful thing. And so when we talk about Christianity, uh, there's a lot of misrepresentation, I feel, that they believe that it was the Christians that caused the slavery. And in in some cases there were, but it was, this is a misinterpretation of scripture, uh, the slave, slavery Bible or the slaves Bible that was made where they took out certain particular, you know, scriptures. I just want to make it clear that when we talk about our Christian heritage or what we're possibly losing and what we want to regain, we don't want to misinterpret the scripture and then make people slaves or, you know, to, to hold people down in America. We want people to understand that without having this moral authority, who is our God, then where do the idea of reason is suspect because anyone can make up whatever they want. There is a moral authority in, in Christianity that was important to our nation early. And I believe that led to our success as a nation, but we're getting away from it. And I think we're about to suffer a lot more because of it. That's, that's what I've got from this book. Yeah. And I I think it's, you know, necessary uh, to tell the whole story. Yes. You know, say, Oh, well, the Bible prohibited slavery and Christians, you know, Oglethorpe did what he did, but there were Christians who, who tried to defend slavery in terms of, of, of the Bible. That's right. And so when we tell America's the Christian heritage. We need to tell all of the, all of that heritage, and I think the model for that's the Bible. Mm-hmm. It's amazing. You read through the Bible, and there are, <laughs> there are criminals, murderers, rapists, uh, all through the all through the Bible. But it has the, the reason that stuff is in there. They were going against a moral authority, I and mean, there are only a couple of guys in the Bible who come across. It's kind of above the fray of immorality, and it's you know, Joseph and, and Daniel, mm-hmm. and other than of course Jesus. But I mean, here you have the Apostle Paul, who was a who was a murderer. I mean, sat sat back, stood back as they watched you know, Stephen being stoned to death. David was an a, a adulterer mm-hmm. um, and a, a, you know man of war. You got you know, you know Solomon, who uh, had alliances with with women. Uh, political alliances with women, 1 Kings chapter, chapter 11. In 1 Kings chapter 10, he violates all of the obligations of what a king should be. So if the Bible, if God's word tells the truth about everything, we shouldn't have a problem of talking about America's history telling everything. That's right. But if you the, don't, Even the ugly truth. Yeah, if you don't, but if you don't have a, a standard by which to evaluate those things, then anything is anything is susceptible to to being done. Um, we, we had a conference conference this this weekend about and Carl Truman, who's a professor at Grove City College up in up in Pennsylvania, um, talked about the transgender movement, and he's been kind of the point man in all of this. He has been speaking all across the country on this whole transgenderism among Muslim groups. Eighth, I mean, it's it's, it's really been interesting. But one of the, talked about one particular woman who um, thinks the whole transgender movement is wrong and what it's damage 
damage to women and so forth and so she you know goes on about all these things and he says well while she's right about those things she doesn't have an external authority to make the case mm-hmm. we have an external authority to make the case and i think this is a very important point to make i think and maybe we we'll, we talk a little bit about education uh, later on what happened with you know early colleges like Harvard and Yale, they they in a time separated the sacred from the secular. We we, we do the secular, sacred things over here, but we do you know math and history and journalism and so forth. You really don't need you don't really need an external authority to do those things right. Mm-hmm. That there's kind of a neutral ground where we can operate in the world. Well, that works for a while because. The sacred and the secular were very were, were compatible for the longest time. The, 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 the secular was borrowing moral capital from the Christian worldview without actually acknowledging that they were borrowing the capital. Mm-hmm. For example, Thomas Jefferson, we already already mentioned him. Uh, he talked, you know, we're endowed by our creator certain inalienable rights, talked about God being the judge. You got um, Benjamin Franklin, unless the Lord builds the house of labor in vain who built it. But so Darwin comes along in 1859 and changes all that. No, there's, we got rid of God a long time ago. So all these things that were tied to a biblical worldview now is completely cut off. And now every man can do what is right in his own eyes. We're within a, an evolutionary model here. And today we don't have an external authority. We don't have a standard outside of ourselves to make these, these kind of distinctions. Mm-hmm. Um, and so Christians need to get away from this sacred-secular divide. There isn't, there isn't a sacred-secular divide. Even within secularism, there isn't a sacred-secular divide. The secularists have just chosen a different God. Mm-hmm. They've either become themselves being God or some uh, moral authority outside of themselves, usually the state. So there's a lot of work to do with all, in, in all of this, and it, it's really helpful we go back and we look at the mistakes you know, that were made about, all, made about these types of things. Absolutely. So let's talk Tripoli. Okay. One, one we, we, in our break, we talked about North Carolina. Yes, which is yes. Your, that's, My state. That's, that's right. Your state. And this is fascinating because um, when, you, when you look at the Constitution of the United States, uh, and a lot of people— we. People say, well, the Constitution of the United States teaches there's a separation between church and state. Mm-hmm. And I said, well, where is that found in the Constitution? Most people don't know. And to tell everybody, to give you a heads up, it's not found anywhere in the Constitution of the United States. You will not find the phrase separation between church and state. Um, and, but I believe, as a Christian and someone who believes the Bible, that there is a jurisdictional separation between church and state. We won't get into all that here, but the, the, the church is a separate government and the, the, the civil magistrate is a separate government as well. And they have different realms under, over which they, they, they have obligations to rule. And that's a biblical idea. There was... You had Moses as the secular, uh, uh, the civil ruler, and you had Aaron, who was the ecclesiastical ruler. You had, you had um, civil authorities, Exodus chapter um, 18, and then you had priests. So, so there was this jurisdictional separation between church and state that should not be breached. So the Constitution of the United States, the First Amendment to the Constitution, is very clear. And, that, and keep in mind that the, the states 
the states were the ones who wanted this, this uh, what we know today as the Bill of Rights, these amendments added to the Constitution. And the first one that we have is, Congress shall make no law respecting the establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof. Mm-hmm. But notice the prohibition is addressed to Congress. Congress shall make no law. Now, why was that in there? Because the states were permitted to make their own laws regarding religion. And that we look at, look at all of the states at that particular period of time, then you will see that they had their own constitutions and their own statements about religion and relationship between the, the, the religion and the, the, uh, the civil magistrate. The, probably the only one that wasn't as keen on that was Rhode Island. Roger Williams in Rhode Island went a little different path, but even, even Rhode Island believed God was the standard for the civil magistrate as, as well as for the church. They just had just jur- jurisdictional responsibilities. So you, you, you look at uh, North Carolina's constitution, uh, the 1776 constitution upholds religious freedom. Article 19 reads, all men have a natural and unalienable right to worship God according to the dictates of their own consciences. Article 32 is more specifically Christian in content. See, no one was forced to believe anything. Mm-hmm. But when it came to making decisions about how we should be ruled in the civil realm, this became an important point. And this is, this is a quotation from it. No person who shall deny the being of God or the truth of the Protestant religion or the divine authority of the Old or New Testaments or who shall hold religious principles incompatible with the freedom and safety of the state shall be capable of holding any office or place of trust or profit in the civil department within the state. Hmm. I mean, think of that. Yeah, you can't, you shall not, shall deny the being of God. No person who shall deny the being of God. Yeah, there was the time that you could not sit on a jury if you were an atheist. Mm-hmm. They would ask you, do you believe in God? If you didn't, you couldn't sit on a, you couldn't sit on a jury. That's right. I read it somewhere in your book where it talks about they cannot avow atheism or profaneness or right. uh, drunkenness yeah. and things yeah. like that, right? They're, the magistrates, they were... And, and people say, well, that's just horrible. Okay, <laughs> all right, you say that. Right. You well, about that. the God part, not necessarily about the the adultery yeah, part. Yeah. <laughs> right. But well, you, you know, you, okay. Also, so by what standard now? What what by what standard do you make the determination exactly. whether something is right or wrong? Mm-hmm. Oh, we we all agree. We all agree that this is wrong. No, we don't all agree. I mean, if there's anything in our culture today that we are finally seeing is we don't all agree. That's correct. And the people who don't agree with us who get into positions of power force us to comply with their with their view. If you've got great great Britain, you know, today, if you misgender somebody, you can go to prison. Mm-hmm. And the government and the, the the this administration is trying to put that in effect in our own in, in the United States. So if you ref- if you refuse to go along with a person's gender, you're gonna lose your job. Mm-hmm. So there's no neutrality here. There's no possible way that we can Get away from the idea there's an absolute external authority. The question is, which one are you going to choose? Mm-hmm. Right, so that's my state. But whenever you look at Delaware, this, is, this was interesting to me. In Article 22, you bring this out, and I'm going to skip down. Uh, this is talking about the oath uh, where every person who shall be chosen a member or uh, of either house or appointed to any office or place of trust before taking a seat or entering upon the execution of his office shall take the following oath. Or affirmation. And here it says, I, and then I guess state your name, do profess faith in God the Father and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, and in the Holy Ghost, 
one God, blessed forevermore, and I do acknowledge the Holy Scriptures of the Old and New Testament to be given by divine inspiration, and all officers shall also take an oath of office. And then our Article 29, this is where I see the separation of church and state that you're talking about. There shall be no establishment of any one religious sect in this state in preference to another, and no clergyman or preacher of the gospel of any denomination shall be capable of holding any civil office in this state or of being a member of either of the branches of the legislature while they continue in the exercise of the pastoral function. And now I see there's a distinction. Like you said earlier, you have the civil and then you have the religious. And so you can't be, you can't straddle the fence and play both. You, you can, but you have to do one or the other, not at the same time. Yeah. The the Bible made it very, makes it very clear as what the civil magistrate should do and what the, 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 what we call the church to do, but the the ecclesiastical element of it all. And I, I wrote a, I wrote a book on this, uh, well, the, this God and Government series I did in the 1980s called God and Government. It mm-hmm. deals with these jurisdictional distinctions, uh, self-government, under God, family government, church government, and civil government. Mm-hmm. And all of those are decentralized. And here in the United, you think about the United States, uh, we have one nation, but we have 50 individual states with, with 50 indiv- individual constitutions. And the if you read the, the Constitution of the United States, in fact, I... I have, a, I, have a, I, have a, I have a copy of it here. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take this out. And I know you, no one, you're listening to this. You can hear the sound of this giant. Right. Yeah. It fits. We're at a, we're at a table. Mm-hmm. It fits on this table. This, this was the document, mm-hmm. all right, that established, pretty much brought us all together as a single, single nation. And this I have is, seen the original. Yeah. This, and this, is, this is it. Yes. This is this is all all, all there is right. about all this, um, and you know we we and yet today no one pays no one pays much attention to it at all. I mean, all of these various agencies that that we we have today, uh, you could not support those by the Constitution of the United States. Mm-hmm. And uh, we mentioned where we were before, but it says this is done in convention of the unanimous uh, consent of the the states the 17th day of September of the year of our Lord, 1787, and the independence of the, of the United States of America, the 12th, that is 12 years since then. So here you see the, the bringing together of these two, uh, the Declaration of Independence and the, the Constitution of the United States. So th- this, 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 this document here was, the, was foundational and I think probably one of the things that was it's missing from this document, unlike the state constitutions, is we the people becomes the standard. If you mm-hmm. read the, 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 the preamble, we the people of the United States, where if you read the state constitutions, they all make reference to God in some way or another. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think, this, I think there are two major flaws with the, declar- with, with the Constitution of the United States does not specifically mention God, grounding what this is and what we are as a nation in the Constitution itself. There are elements of it in here, as I've, I've already mentioned. And the other was, the other one was, it does not have a prohibition of chattel slavery. Mm-hmm. Those, I think, are the two big problems. And one is related to the other. Right. Um, and so this, this particular document is, um, today, almost anybody could come along and, 
and impose their worldview on this on the Constitution and use it, and yet would be contrary to anything related to Christianity. Mm. I mean, it's it's this Constitution kind of floats, uh, and the and reason it worked for so long is because people were in fact rooted in a biblical worldview. Wasn't there, there was mention in your book, and I'm sorry, I can't remember it. I have to look it up. Uh, There was a a man, and I think this group called the Covenanters had brought up this, what you just mentioned, that there was not a direct mention of of God in this document. And he was trying to bring that. It was the original NRA, the National Reform Association. Okay. And they they brought up this issue, and they brought up what we're going to talk about is the Treaty of Tripoli. Mm-hmm. Uh, where and, and and many of them, as a result of this, would not vote because they said that the Constitution of the United States was invalid because it did not recognize uh, Jesus as the the, the, the king, mm. um, and because it was a it was contrary to what the state constitutions were all about. But I think the, what the founders the founders said. Constitution of the United States is does not govern the states regarding religion. That's what Congress shall make no law, mm-hmm. uh, and and it dealt also with speech, uh, press, and assembly, which all the things are related to Christianity. You can speak freely about religion, uh, you can assemble about religion, and then you can write about religion, and at the same time you can peti- petition the government for a redress of grievances, which tells you we can go to the government and say, stop doing this. And that's why we had the Ninth and Tenth Amendment. If you read the Ninth and Tenth Amendments, Ninth and Tenth Amendments make it very clear that only those things actually in the Constitution does does the federal government actually have any authority or power. Mm -hmm. Everything else was related to the individual states. And those individual states were fundamentally Christian. And that's why when we, we're going to talk about the, this, the tre- this Treaty of Tripoli, it's important to understand why the Treaty of Tripoli was written and why this particular phrase is used in the, the Treaty of Tripoli. Mm-hmm. So you want to go there? Yeah, I do. What is the Treaty of Tripoli? Treaty Let's of start- tri- Tripoli, it, and we're, it, it's really current events. Okay. We are fighting Islam today, mm-hmm. and you think this is something new. It is not anything new. Mm-hmm. Um, Islam was a, was a problem in the 18th century and way before that. Remember, um, Islam started in around in the 1600s. And w- we have been battling Islamic extremism for, for more than a, you know, a, a millennium and a half. Mm-hmm. And what was happening in, in shipping lanes in the Mediterranean area, which in Tripoli is right on, in the Mediterranean, Ships were being commandeered by, by mu- these Muslims and people were being kidnapped, violation of the Bible, mm-hmm. were kidnapped and many of them were Christians. And it was, we weren't, we weren't a power back then. So we're, here we, you know, 1776, 1787, we didn't have, a, we didn't have an army, we didn't have a navy. Uh, and so we were literally being held hostage. We had to pay ransom to these the Muslims in order to get these people who were being kidnapped from these ships mm-hmm. in this place called Tripoli. And what's the, what's the marine hymn? From the halls of Montezuma to the shores of Tripoli. Mm-hmm. And so all, all of this was you know, historical for, during that particular period of time as to what was going on. So by 1787, in fact, John Adams and uh, Jefferson, they were negotiating with the Muslims over 
these issues of being, you know, being, the people being kidnapped and so forth. Mm-hmm. And that we were having to pay money in order to get them back. But by 17, 1790s, things changed. We were putting together a Navy that could actually fight and do something about all this. Mm-hmm. And so to rectify this, a treaty uh, was put together called the Treaty of Tripoli, which was uh, drafted in 1797. So that that date gives you some idea of where we were. By then, we could go up against the, 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 Muslim, the Muslim nations and, and, and get our people back that we wanted, we wanted a treaty. And the treaty was drafted during George Washington's administration, but it wasn't implemented until John Adams' administration. Adams followed Washington. And what you find among uh, the, his, the history books here is that the first time I saw the Treaty of Tripoli, it was a it was a magazine cover. I think it was a Liberty magazine, and on it, uh, Liberty magazine on the front page, it, it maintained that George Washington said that the United States of America is not in any sense founded on the Christian religion. That was you weren't told what this was from, but the claim was made that George Washington had said this. Well, George Washington never said any such thing. Uh, and you will find this Norman Geisler, who is a Christian apologist and so forth, in a book that he wrote because his man, the measure, um, he uncriti- uncritically accepted the Encyclopedia of, of, um, of Philosophy's conclusion that the Treaty of Tripoli and George Washington had a part in it. And it's amazing to go through the his- historical record on the Treaty of Tripoli and how many of them attributed it to George Washington. Well, George Washington didn't ju- write this treaty. A fellow named Joel Barlow did. And it was um, put into effect in 1790, 97, during um, John Adams' administration. Let me read you the part of, this is Article 11 of the 1797 Treaty of Tripoli. And I'm gonna stop at a certain point. As the government of the United States of America is not in any sense founded on the Christian religion. That is in this treaty, It's, Mm -hmm. it's there, comma, hyphen, as it has in itself no character of enmity against the law, religion, or tranquility of Muslimen. They were M-U-S-S-E-L-M-E-N, but really Muslims. And as the said states of America never have entered into any war or act of hostility against any Mahometan nation, it is declared by the parties that no pretext arising from religious opinions shall ever produce an interpretation of the harmony existing between the two countries. Mm-hmm. Now, what does that mean? That it's, it says here that the United States is not in any sense founded on the Christian religion. Remember, this is, this is dealing with Muslim nations. We talked about a jurisdictional separation between church and state between in here in the United States, biblically in the United States. But that isn't the case in, in Islam. Islam is, there is no jurisdictional separation between church and state. Mm-hmm. And what the Muslims were reading, remember, this is 1797, it's 1787, the Constitution of the United States really wasn't put into effect until 1791. Mm-hmm. So what, was, what were these is, is Islamic nations actually looking at and determining what the United States was all about? The state constitutions. Mm-hmm. They were reading the state constitutions, they saw in the state constitutions that this is a Christian nation. Mm-hmm. But we have this jurisdictional separation between the civil magistrate and, and the, the churches. 
the Muslims didn't see it that way. They saw us as a Christian nation based upon what they read about in our state constitutions. So when it says here, as the government of the United States of America is not in any sense founded on the Christian religion, as it has in itself no charter or enmity against the law, religion, and, or tranquility of the Muslims. Mm -hmm. The simply stating here is that we will not use our, the Christian basis for the state constitutions, is not stated here like that. We're not, we're not going to impose this upon you we have a jurisdictional separation between church and state. Mm -hmm. um, even Christopher Hitchens, remember the famed atheist Christopher Hitchens, he even admitted that was the purpose of this, the Treaty of Tripoli. So this is a 1797 treaty. Well, there was an 1805 treaty. And you will find in the 1805 treaty that that phrase is taken out. Because mm. things had changed dramatically with how we were now much more in a power position with the Muslims. And uh, there was some criticism that Joel Barlow, who had put this whole thing together, uh, there was there's some question about there actually being different renditions of this treaty and so forth. I don't take that argument. I, I take the argument is this was put in here to assure the Muslims that we would not use our power and authority to impose Christianity upon them. Mm -hmm. I think that's the basis of the, the phrase. Because the state constitutions were ex, you know, ex explicit in terms of their of their Christianity. So you can go through the, the history of this and, 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 and see all of this. I, I cover this in my book, um, the, the Case for America's Christian Heritage, Heritage in much more detail, because you know, parents may end up, you know, they send their kids to public schools, they send their kids to college and so forth, and this may come up, and this chapter really lays it out in much more detail than I'm, I'm giving it here. Yeah, and you bring up a good point. You, let's segue into that about education, can we? Yes, we can. So. Yeah. Uh, something that I've heard you say is he who rules the schools rules the world, right? Yes. So in your book, you mention education. And I like how you talked about the Nazi regime. Now, you feel free to talk about it any way you want. But the one thing that I did notice is that um, Hitler made it very clear that he needed to access the youth to, yes. to truly change the nation. And so he did that. He went, he, he changed the educational system. He, he took over all the schools. Mm -hmm. He just took them over. Mm -hmm. And uh, he basically said, I'll, I will train up a new generation. Mm -hmm. You, the older generation, you'll pass, you'll pass on. Mm -hmm. But this new generation will be in a new, a new camp. Mm -hmm. You'll be in the Nazi regime, the thousand year Reich. Right. He understood, if you want to change a nation, Capture the youth, and the way you capture the youth is capture the schools. Mm -hmm. And this is look, this is true everywhere. Yes, you go back through. You it's go true through, here. Yeah, <laughs> it, it, it is true here. We go to the Bible. What's you know, Daniel chapter one. What what did what did Nebuchadnezzar do? He took away the children. He took he took the best and the brightest of the children mm -hmm. and indoctrinated them into the a new way of evaluating life in terms of the Babylonian system. Mm -hmm. Changed their names because if you look at the you know, Daniel and his, and his friends, all of their names mention God in some way. Daniel, God is my judge. El means, means God. Dan right. means judge. I means my. God is my judge. The, the other three, they have Yah at the end of their names. Mm -hmm. Hananiah. So Nebuchadnezzar gives them secularized names. So we see, we see this all the way back in the history and in the Bible. And every, every regime, one of the, they, take, they do two things. 
initially. Take over the schools, take over the media, mm-hmm. take over the press, take care of the newspapers, propaganda. We saw this with the Soviet Union. Uh, anything that came out of the Soviet Union, you couldn't, tr- you couldn't trust. Now in the United States, everything that comes out of the media, you can't, tr- you can't literally, you cannot trust it. Right. And you, anything coming out of the educational institutions today, you cannot trust. Mm-hmm. We saw this thing with Hamas, and we saw this. The anti-Semitism that are coming out of schools like Harvard. I mean, Harvard was started in 16, 1636, was started as a Christian, a Christian college, mm-hmm. based upon the, the, uh, the British model of, of uh, Cambridge and Oxford. I mean, Cambridge, Massachusetts. I mean, they understood in order to keep this nation going, the first thing you had to do was to create schools. In the colonies, they started schools. They had the, you had the educational establishment coming in here that was based upon the Bible. You had the horn book. You had, you had you know, most, everybody was taught to read because so they could read the Bible. There was, you mentioned a primer. There was a yes. primer in that book, you know, where it, all of it was based on the right. Bible in right. that early education. And they knew if you studied the Bible, you, you could see how the Bible dealt with this jurisdictional separation between church and state and how you did not want to give power to, to, to a, a civil government. And we, you mentioned slavery. You mentioned, you mentioned this, the uh, the slave the slave Bible. Mm-hmm. They didn't they didn't want blacks to to you know they didn't want uh, the slaves to be able to read, because if they started reading the Bible, they would begin to say, "Wait a minute, right? This whole thing that you're doing to me here in terms of slavery is wrong. I, I can read in Exodus what it says about I was kidnapped. This mm-hmm. was so they kept them from reading. If you've ever seen the the original series of Roots, you know mm-hmm. the whole. One of the reasons, another reason they didn't want them to, to read is, is so if they ever escaped, they wouldn't be able to read road signs or anything else. So yeah, you're right. Whoever owns owns the schools rules the world. And that's mm-hmm. what we're seeing in our culture today. The schools today in our culture have been co-opted mm-hmm. from, from kindergarten all the way through the, you know, the uh, PhD programs here. Mm-hmm. I mean, almost uh, probably 95% captured by the secularists in our culture mm-hmm. today. And the same is true with public schools, although depending on where you live, some, some are better than others. But we've turned them over to the government. The, gov- the, the civil government today runs the schools. Parents don't run schools. We saw that in Virginia. Mm-hmm. Remember, they were, you know, you, you know, wait a minute, man. You send your children to these schools today. Now they're under our authority. You don't know what you're talking about. Mm-hmm. It was at McAuliffe, uh, the governor who was running for, running for governor, said the parents don't have any say-so in the education of their children, which was probably the turning point in the election for, for governor because parents said, wait a minute, we're paying taxes, these are our kids. Mm-hmm. And I think it changed, it changed the election today. So we need to wise up with what's going on in our culture today. And more and more parents are making decisions. They've got homeschooling, you've got Christian schools, uh, independent Christian schools, and you have uh, church schools. And think about churches. Churches uh, are vacant probably 95% of the week. Mm-hmm. You have a Sunday service. You may have Sunday school, may have a Sunday evening service. You might do a Wednesday, Wednesday evening service. Then you have all these Sunday school classes. And this, this churches sit idle. And people are paying their tithes to this church, maybe for a Sunday school class and so forth. Mm-hmm. We should be educating our own children, not turning them over to the state. Mm-hmm. Let's quit you know, talking about trying to save the public schools. We've been trying to do that since 1962 and 63 when they took Bible reading and prayer out of schools. Mm-hmm. That's been you know, almost six, well, 60, 60 years ago. 
And you're still trying to save the public schools. They've only gotten worse. You think God is telling us something here? Mm -hmm. It's time that we need to begin to take take back the education of our children. Absolutely. And I I don't know. You have the book there in front of you. And I don't know if you can find it. I want to have a little fun. Can we have a little bit of fun? Sure. I want to break the fourth wall in our video. And I'll also hear you do a little, you have a little 10 uh, question quiz that we, you were talking about education. You're talking about the schools. Um, do you remember what I'm talking about where you ask like, um, what is the body of water on the Eastern part of the United States? Like that was one of oh, the questions. Let's see here. Uh, let's see if I can find that. We can always. Oh, we can cut. cut. Absolutely. <laughs> Although I never cut the audio. I love, I love the, the see, awkwardness of it. See, yeah. I think it's chapter five or six. Oh, here we go. Let's see. Did uh, you find it? Yeah. And the answers are in the back, right? So I know that for certain. But what I want to do is I want you to ask the question to the camera. And then, guys, let it, let him ask the question and then you answer. But I'd like the audience who's watching this, answer it for yourself and see if you can actually see how well you do. Because you quiz us in the book and you say, how well do you do? And I took the quiz and I missed a couple and I was very disappointed yeah. in myself. <laughs> okay. So I'm addressing you guys? Yeah. We're breaking the fourth yeah. wall. Okay. Just, just let him address you. All right. The fourth wall. Um, yeah. So this, this is part of a citizenship test, and it is on page 76 of the, for my book, The Case for America's Christian Heritage. And what is the supreme law of the land? Yes, yeah, so there you go, listeners. What is the supreme law of the land? Now, just hold that. What do you think it is? Okay, so Ralph says the Constitution. What do you say, Rick? I wouldn't know. The menu at McDonald's. Okay, got it. So what... <laughs> 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 it is. It is the Constitution. It is the Constitution. And Forty-six and a half percent did not know in this when this the citizenship test. Um, and number two, what do we call the first ten amendments to the Constitution? The Bill of Rights. Ralph got that right. Bill of Rights. Okay, forty-eight percent did not know. Mm. Uh, number three, what are the two parts of the U.S. Congress? The House and the Senate. House and the Senate. Ralph did his homework as a kid. Yeah. Uh, 77% did not know. Can you believe and, that? Yeah, three quarters of the country didn't know it. Right. Or three quarters of those, not the country, but those who were asked. I think there were several, it was like a thousand people. Number four, how many justices are on the Supreme Court? Nine. There are nine. Yes, and of course not, the Democrats want more. They want more, that's right. Yeah. And the, but by the way, there's nothing in the Constitution as to how many there should be. Right. So that's, keep that in mind as well. Uh, number five. This number five is a little. You, you have to nuance this one a little bit. Who wrote the Declaration of Independence? I would ask the question: Who had the most in, most um, influence on the the Thomas Jefferson? He penned yes. And there were some edit, there there were changes. There were changes. Yeah, Franklin over time. was an editor. He helped um, edit. And here's here's an interesting question. Uh, I'll, I'll I'll add this this uh, this one, and that is. Um, was, was Thomas Jefferson involved in the drafting of any part of the Constitution of the United States? He was part of it because he was friends with the people who were writing it. Yeah, but he, he was not there. Right. But he, he, was in Fran he was in France at the time. Right, but he, they, he was also corresponding with people, and they also knew what he thought. Did yeah. you know that, Rick? But he was not there. That he was not there. I did not know that. No. And, this, and this, is an, this is an interesting point. The phrase, the separation between church and state, is comes from a letter that Thomas Jefferson had written to some Baptists in Connecticut, where he uses that phrase. 
And that phrase, the separation between church and state, has become a substitute for the First Amendment, which says Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof. Mm-hmm. So Jefferson, who so Jefferson, who wasn't even there at the Constitutional Convention, it's his phrase that's used as a substitute for what the Constitution actually says, which is kind of interesting. I just, Rick, there's a there's a show called about John Adams. It's, uh, it's put out. Yes, it deals with some of this too. You might like that. Yeah, it's got Paul Giamatti in it. Is that what you're talking about? Yes, yes. Okay. Um, this is number six. What ocean? What ocean? is on the east coast of the United States. The Atlantic Ocean. Very good. Rick says the Atlantic. That's and that people, 29% got that, did not know. In addition, 12.1% got it wrong. And number seven, what are the two major political parties in the United States? Republican, Democrat. Part Republican, yep, Republican. And that, is, that has changed over the years going all the way back to the founding. And again... Yeah. Political parties are not part of the Constitution of the United Absolutely States. Absolutely not. Yeah. I was going to say at the time of the at the time of this of the writing of the Constitution, there weren't uh, a Republican and Democrat party, right? Yeah. Well, yeah. The fact that they also flipped. Yeah, they did. Yes. Yeah. Well, I imagine most people don't realize they actually flipped. Yeah. Yeah. For those of you who didn't hear, Rick Rick is saying that that these parties had flipped, you know, over time, and that's true because I know the Democrats of the seventies that are still Democrats today, but their party's not the same as it was. They right, were more Republican. Right. Uh, number eight, we elect a U.S. Senator for how many years? The two and six. No. There's a two-year term and a six-year term. Yeah, we elect a U.S. Senator for how many? Oh, U.S. Senator. Yeah, six, six years. Only 14.5% got it right. Number nine, who was the first president? George Washington. George Washington. And there's a there's a little bit a little bit of debate about that. There were kind of president presidents of the Congress and so forth mm-hmm. and so on, but he was the How many people got that right or wrong? Uh, 26 and a half got it right. <laughs> Think about that. 26 and a half got it right. Um, and what here's I'll throw this All one. The questions on there that ought to have been the one that everybody got. Yeah, you think yeah. uh, I'll throw this one out. George Washington was he was given a nickname by political theorists at that particular period of time. Do you know what it, what it was? We have a city in the United States named after this, this individual. I do know this. I just can't recall it. I do, but I've heard this before. Cincinnatus. Oh, that Cincinnatus. He, he, he came in for Rome to rule, mm-hmm. did his job, and then left. You know, didn't want to become a king and so forth. That was the same thing with George Washington, is that, you know, because there was no limit, the number, because FDR, remember, he did four, went through four administrations, he finally passed an amendment, he couldn't do that. Mm -hmm. But, you know, they they could have made him a king if they wanted to, but no, he did his job. He didn't want want it. That's interesting, Cincinnati, because what I was thinking was uh, Old Hickory, and that was Andrew. Jackson. Andrew Jackson's Old Hickory and Old yeah. Hickory, Tennessee. Yeah. I, I was Cincinnati. Off it's not something that's known very, you know, very well. Uh, number ten. Who is in charge of the executive branch? The president. The president. Right. Very good, Rick. Twenty six got that right. Twenty six percent. Well, and I think that that's important. That's why I wanted to bring it out and have a little fun with this. Is that this is our public education system, and, and yes, we did answer it. But you'd be surprised how many people can't. 
answer these oh, questions. Oh, I know. Oh, I, and, and think, I mean, these are basic fundamental questions that you should have gotten in a civics class. When I was in ninth grade, we took a civics class. And uh, today, I mean, we have, people have no idea how our system works. I, I love these, these uh, man on the street interviews where they're asking these people questions and they're, you know, usually they're two people. One person oftentimes knows the answer and the other person doesn't have a clue. Mm-hmm. But if you were on the, if you went on the, with all the stuff we've discussed in these two, these two episodes and ask people the questions that we dealt with, they wouldn't have the slightest idea what we were talking about. Right. It's like foreign language to them. It is. Yeah. It really is. And let me, let me say one thing. Uh, I, I, would, I would have considered myself pretty ignorant of these things was, you know, when I was growing up as well. Sure. But when I became a Christian when I was 20, uh, 23 years old, um, mm-hmm. I sat down and re-educated myself on, on all of this. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm, I, don't, I don't consider myself a scholar by any, any means. Um, I, I just you know, study these things and read, read enough. And I think if you work with your kids, I always, when I have my grandchildren over here, I'm always asking them questions about things. Anything that comes up, I'll read, oh, what about this? Oh, what do you think the definition of that is? And they'll bring up a word and say, you know, Papa, what, is that, what does that word mean? And I kind of give them the background of the word if I can. Uh, we need to take over the education of our children. And it doesn't always mean that you do that in the classroom. Mm-hmm. We should always be working with the education of our children in terms of the Bible and history and philosophy and apologetics and so forth. Mm-hmm. We need to raise up a generation that understands these things because I'm telling you, there's a generation out there in the public school system today that won't know any of these things. I don't know if you've been following what's happened in Baltimore. Baltimore public schools, no efficiency, uh, proficiency in reading or math. Passed no, no proficiency whatsoever in those. No one passed. Really? And, we, and they spend $21,000 a year for, on each student. This is not a money issue. This is not a money issue. Mm-hmm. It's a worldview issue. And we as Christians have an obligation to educate our own children. I agree 100%. And I did not know that about Baltimore, but I'm not surprised. In, in North Carolina, you, you, when you say like it's not a money issue, I know that, you know, I won't get into everyone that I know that is a teacher, but some of the teachers, um, they're, they're not really compensated for what's actually asked of them in the public school system. And it's really surprising how little these students get the attention of the teachers that they have, you know, engorged classrooms, for example, far less is expected um, of the students today than they were even in my time, just, you know, 20, 30 years ago. So, but I wanted to, let's finish this by, I wanted to thank you very much for being on the program, but also for all of the work that you've, you've spent your life doing. And you've helped shape and change my worldview, not only with Last Day's Madness, but also with God and government and with America's Christian heritage. And I appreciate all the work that you're doing. And you make me study more because (laughs) every time I hear you talk, every time I, uh, that you've been around us or we've been around you, your knowledge of things and how you do things, it's, it's like, look, if I'm going to talk in front of someone, I need to do the homework to make sure I have an idea of what I'm doing. So, you know, you've inspired me several times to, I'm going to go in front of a group. Okay. If I was in front of Gary, what would he say? <laughs> and, and, and I, I, I study both sides of it now, uh, instead of just the one. Yeah. Yeah. You, you really, you really have to be aware of what other people are saying and be proficient enough and, and, and to, to, to do that. And, um, 
we've we've kind of we've kind of lost lost that. You don't have to you don't have to go to college to do to, to learn this stuff. No. I mean, in fact, I I think most almost everything I've I've written about I did not learn in college. For I, thousands of years, people didn't go to college, yeah. and they the world ran better then than oh yeah. Now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, if you think of our founding fathers, I mean, many of them went off to college when they they were 13 and 14 years old, and they were already studied in Latin and and so forth. Mm-hmm. I mean, these these guys were were were, were brilliant, uh, and it's not that we're any less brilliant today. We just haven't been taught taught what's right and what's wrong in mm-hmm. terms of historical stuff as well as yeah. We so, get inundated. I believe that we we want to be entertained more than we want to be educated, and at least that I, I see that. For the youth. Yeah, and I, and I think a lot of teachers, a lot of good teachers out there, many of them are frustrated in that all these, you hear them say, all I want to do is teach. Mm-hmm. And then the administration comes in and says, well, now you have to teach this stuff. Um, and, you know, anything, this diversity, inclusion, and so forth, uh, you know, it's, look, the, the, you know, so now they're, they, they're using the right pronouns, but they, can't, they don't know anything about American history. Right. And they can't think. Mm-hmm. They can't, can't follow a logical argument. Or an illogical. Yeah, and I and I would argue that they're not using the right pronouns. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, well, thank you so much for being. Oh, thank you. I appreciate me. it. And um, uh, guys, go to AmericanVision.org. Right. And you can see all the work that Mr. Namar's been doing. You can see the books that uh, American uh, American Vision releases. I know uh, the day now is Days of Vengeance still out or has it sold out yet? No, Days of Vengeance, Days of Vengeance is still in print. That's David Paradise Restored. Paradise Restored. Yeah. Still in print there. Still you can get print. them. Go get them. You're, you can only get them at American Vision, right? Yes. I think we, so. Yeah. Yeah. You can f- try to find them online, but they go for like $100, $200. That's right. So we, 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 don't, we don't do that. And uh, Both of them are beautiful hardback editions too. Right. They're, they're really nice. And then you can also get the book that we were talking about today, The Case for America's Christian Heritage. Uh, it's an illustrated journey of our nation's providential, providential beginnings. beginnings. Yeah, and it's four, it's, it's a hardback. This is a Smythe-sewn hardback. Mm-hmm. You know, people know that, but most books today are glued. Mm-hmm. But this one has individual books sewn together on all this, so you can lay this thing flat. Oh, the pages are individually stitched. Yeah, they're stitched. They, yeah, these, wow. these are called Smythe, Smythe-sewn. And it's four color. It's all color, mm-hmm. um, and uh, it's on a really nice, nice paper. And it is a hardback, and it's designed kind of as a, you know, coffee table type book. People. Will pick it is, up. and I think it would make a nice gift for a family if you are this. This being our Thanksgiving time, um, which is one of my favorite holidays. I love Halloween, but I also Thanksgiving is my second favorite, and um, because I believe that we need to be thankful in this country, and. Our nation's leaders, most all of the presidents, you know, had a time of prayer of thanksgiving in our history. Right. And uh, go pick up this book. Go get this book and get it for somebody in your life, somebody in your family, to let them learn about our Christian heritage. It's it's so critical, especially right now. Yeah, we've only covered, you know, a small percentage of what's of what's in the book. Yeah, we did. Book. We did. I don't think we got beyond even chapter eleven. Yeah. I think that's as far as we got. Uh, it's interesting that there was a, a book that came out a number of years ago where the, the author talks about um, Thanksgiving mm-hmm. and, and talks about what the textbook said about Thanksgiving, and uh, basically all it said was it's, it's when, Thanksgiving was a holiday where the, uh, the the pilgrims gave thanks to the Indians. Mm-hmm. That was that was that was Thanksgiving, 
But if you go back and look at the literature on the history of Thanksgiving, it was when they gave thanks to God. And of course, they did thank the Indians as well. Mm -hmm. But ultimately, they thanked God for bringing the Indians in. Mm -hmm. And so when the principal of the school was confronted on all this, he, he said, they can only teach what's in the textbooks. So if the textbooks don't have what this, what America's Christian heritage has in it, you're, you're, your kids aren't gonna get it. That's, that's part of the problem. And then mm -hmm. I know not all these textbooks can, hand, you know, can put everything in it. But this, this, this book, The Case for America's Christian Heritage, would be a good supplement to what your children are getting in either a Christian school or a public school. Mm -hmm. Very good. All right, thank you. Thank you very much, and I appreciate it. I hope you have a great rest of your day. Thanks. All right, thanks. That episode wasn't as long as the first one, but, you know, because we, we sort of wrapped it up there at the end, but... Um, I, I think it might actually be longer once the... Uh, Oh, Edits really? Are made, yeah. Oh. I think that's mostly because of the stuff at the front. I'll cut this. Oh, out. that's true. That's true. Yeah, because yeah. when we first, when I first had Andy cut this together, one of the things that I guess I'll tell you, I, I don't know if you know this or not, but um, uh, our first Burroughs release as an audiobook that's going to be um, for sale on American Vision Ooh. is A Case for American uh, Christian Heritage, and I read it. I what, what do you call that? I'm the book reader, a narrator. Yeah, uh, narrator, yeah. Is that narrator? right? I don't know if it's narrator or not. I'm the one that reads it, and I sent it to him, and I was like, "What do you think?" He said, "Sounds good." <laughs> no, that's all I got. Anyway, so that will be available in audiobook, hopefully sometime in January in 2024. I will be working with Andy and knocking the rest of that out. And so it was at the beginning of the first episode, but we're going to cut all that. Yeah, it was a bit. It was just a bit on the long side. Yeah, it, it really was. I know. I'm going to cut this so that it says. That I interrupt you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, well, anyway, happy Thanksgiving, everybody. Happy I hope that you uh, on, have a great time with your family. Travel safe out there. Eat lots of food. Get a tryptophan coma. Is that right? Tryptophan? That yeah, sounds right. Yeah. Tryptophan. Yeah. I like, I'm a ham guy, too, Andy. Like, I, I like ham, too. Mm, I prefer it. Honey me a pig. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Ham's always better to second go around, too. Yeah. Turkey's not. You take that back. It's good every go around. Yeah, well, yeah. It's, we'll it's, fight. Well, he just meant in comparison to turkey. Turkey's oh, not so as good. As a leftover. No. no. That's, no, that's true. Turkey's not good Well, leftover. one of my favorite things to as do with leftover. As long as you have gravy leftover, it's that's excellent. That's true. Gravy, mm. gravy makes things work. Mm. With leftover turkey, I know this might sound weird, but I like to take just like basic white bread and put the turkey on it. And then I put the... Um, Cranberry Remember? sauce on top of that, and oh. then I put mayonnaise on the top of the bread. Oh, and then I eat it. oh, it's so son. good, bro. Ooh. It's so well, you're going to take some of those stuffing muffins I bring you and put some turkey in between it the next day with a little bit of cranberry uh, sauce. Ah, yeah. Now you're talking. I just, I just, I'm not sure I'm I can salivating. do cranberry sauce oh, and uh, cranberry. mayonnaise. It's oh. good. <laughs> I bet it's, it's good. It's, it's actually pretty good. Anyway, Rick, thanks for being here. Um, Sarita. Yep. Had a good time. Andy, Couple, Ralph, Ripley, Holly. Thanks for being here on this holiday edition. I'd like to say that we're thankful for all of our listeners. Yes, we are thankful for we're, our listeners. We're thankful for the people in this room. Yes. Yeah, we have gotten some very nice letters sent to us, haven't yeah, we? thank you. There's some people from all around the country that are writing us we're nice letters. We're thankful for those, and we're thankful for the not-so-nice ones, too. Yeah. Because God loves them, too. Yeah. Um, Thank you, Rick, for putting up with every, that. Every once in a while, I'll get a friend request, and it's never associated with anything. It's always just a friend request, you know? It's never like a letter or anything. But I'll get a friend request, and you can tell. I can tell. I'll be like, oh, this is a podcast listener. So Oh. That's always funny. That's it's just cool. like not a lot, but but I can kind of, you could kind of tell. Because you know who the friends are? Like, I, I Well, I, usually because it's somebody that has a lot of religious stuff in their timeline. Because I always look at a timeline. Cause I do, too. Because if, if it stops man, too early— 
If you're Don't a man that's it. living oh. in Datar or Dotar or whatever, I'm not friend. I'm not, <laughs> no, 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 no. I mean, if you're a man on the internet, 60%, 70, 80% of all women to send friend requests are just fake. They're just there to try and sell you porn. So it's like you have to like comb every Come to profile. My only fans. Yeah, yeah. 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 So I do that. And you're like, oh, there is a ton of religious stuff on this profile. That is a podcast. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. Well, anyway, guys, hope you have a great Thanksgiving. Yes. And we will talk to you guys again next time on the Burrows of Berea. Peace out. Later. Hey guys, this is Rick from the Burrows of Berea. Do you know how much blood, sweat, and tears it takes to make a podcast? None. But that doesn't mean that it doesn't cost a lot. And so if you guys don't mind, if anybody would like to give to help us with these episodes, it would be great. We'll put out even more content. And if you go to our Patreon page, just search for the Burrows of Berea. You'll get extra notes, extra episodes, and it's pretty much free. A dollar gets you a lot. Thanks, guys.